That question is so loaded, John. I don't even know where to start well, with that. Well, question. well I, I listen, guess, I guess, I guess the problem is, is. And by the way, John, I love that question. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Interesting. This is an interesting topic. What's the solution here? Show up, understand your part, and just crush it. Pay-per-click, social media, we can talk about all this stuff, but what really matters is patient experience, that wow factor. Please, are you listening to yourself? Come on. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. So sit back, take notes, and listen. Oh, oh I love this. This is going to be fun. Startup Uncensored, the questions you have with the truths you need to hear. And now your hosts, Michael Dincio and John Bertagni. All right, everybody, thanks so much for being on today. I am super jacked. This, this basically starts the entire program, the entire program. You know, we... We had a vision for this this entire program, and ironically, this is the vision episode. And I and I'm pretty jacked. I'm your host, Mike Dincio. John, my co-host, John Bertagni. Thanks for being here today, buddy. Good day to everyone. We're excited about this. We've got Miladin Crawl, Dr. Miladin Crawl, a good friend, but also in my mind, a visionary of dentistry, but also that that piece that we just talked about, patient experience. And uh Miladin. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Thanks for being on Good. today, Good. man. We really appreciate it. John keeps talking about this this guy who's legendary in the Chicago market. I've been looking. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this interview for a while. It's good. Uh, well, is he talking about dentistry? <laughs> I, i'm going to clear things up yeah uh yeah no i appreciate that john and i go way back um known each other from pretty much the start of my career um he's helped out a lot and so he brought a lot of insights to what i needed to do as a dentist you know i always pulled some of the greatest information from guys like john so it's a pleasure to be on the show and uh, kind of recap what we, where we started and uh uh you know where we're going and I think that's what it's about, Milan. Like, you know, it's it's about friendship, but, you know, you're going to see and, and our listeners and viewers are going to see that this is, you know, you can find allies and alignment partners, if you will, that that are trusted throughout the process. And, you know, and we talk about this throughout. There, there are people that you shouldn't trust. And you and I both have been in situations like that with business partners, et cetera. Um, but we've also, you know, we've made some great choices along the way too, because I think you're going to be relatable to a lot of people um, because of your background. And I would love for you to just kind of jump in because you were in Big DSO, you actually paid deference to Big DSO, but it also helped shape what you wanted to do. So, you know, can you can you spend a little bit of time about how that background? built you out because there's a lot of people that did the same darn thing or they're, they feel they're stuck where they are right now. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, my career, I was a little bit envious of a lot of people I went to dental school with because a lot of them actually had like family or friends that were already into their career. So they had somewhere to drop into as soon as they graduated, uh, uh, dental school. Um, for me, it was a much more torturous route because, uh, you know, and I'm in downtown Chicago, 
a lot of dentists out there. But when I graduated back in uh, 91, um, there, there really wasn't the opportunity that I thought was out there or there wasn't the right fit for me. So I probably spent my first, I'd say, eight years of just kind of bouncing from one practice to another as an independent contractor until I did find, uh, you know, the, the DSO. And I that was back in like 99. I ended up spending about five years with them. And um, it was both a great experience. I learned a lot. I learned what they did at that level. But I also saw then the pitfalls as I grew into, I was with them for five years until 2004. I also saw the pitfalls of what rapid growth can mean and how it could affect, uh, you know, somebody like myself who was both um, very clinically driven um, but I couldn't get the tools that I needed or the resources that I needed to grow myself professionally on the level that I wanted to. But uh, my ambitions outgrew what they were able to provide me. And that was pretty much why I ended up like, leaving after about five years. Yeah. And then, I mean, w- throughout that process, what was it? You were thinking about a void in the the Chicago market or, you know, because you weren't thinking multiple group or multiple locations right out of the gate. You were thinking for yourself, correct? Initially, yeah. Initially, I was thinking for myself. But at the same time, I thought if, you know, Dr. Rick Workman, who is quite the visionary himself coming out of a small town in central Illinois, could build, you know, such a great organization. I could do this in Chicago where there's just, you know, significantly more uh, patient base there, uh, you know, more density. And I, I thought more opportunity, but my passion uh, started in uh, really the cosmetic world. As soon as I got a taste of uh, and training of doing porcelain veneers and Invisalign, that's I started a boutique practice that was three chairs. That's all I did was large cases, Invisalign and whitening. And that's all I wanted to do. The it, To be honest, to this day, I wish I would have stayed on that path. But it, and I'm actually circling back around to that path. Um, now that we've grown, I have to I, I want to challenge myself again. But at that time, I had a lot of patients who were demanding also, well, OK, yeah, you fix my veneers. Can you take care of this root canal that I need? can you take care of this? You can't turn down <laughs> financial opportunities. So I started building my practice off of that as well. We started growing. Um, yeah. And, and then I was fortunate enough, um, you know, both my brother and uh, Dr. Reggie Thurston, who's our other partner, were both practicing uh, also with Heartland's. Uh, at that time, and everybody lived in downtown Chicago, though we were traveling on the suburbs. And then, uh, you know, I shared my vision for a group practice, which became Aura. Um, and my brother came on board, you know, pretty much right away. And that's when we opened up our second location and rebranded to Aura um, back in 2008 in the middle of a, in the great, great recession. So <laughs> I was going to say, like, if you really think about where we are and, you know, timestamp this, you know, we're in a pandemic. Right. And, and people are nervous about doing dental practices. Um, you guys opened up essentially the flagship right on South Michigan Avenue of Aura Dental Studios in one of the worst economic times. And, you know, Mike being a banker, you could probably relate to this from a B of A standpoint. But it was insane because I, I happened to be a part of that project. But I mean, finding money figuring out, should I do this? Should I not do this? Landlords up in arms, not knowing what's happening. I mean, it's very parallel times. You know, if we look at this 12 years in in reverse. Yeah. Contractors stopping Mm -hmm. jobs because uh, the funding wasn't paid out, you know. So there was delays left and right. It was literally in the middle. We, I think that uh, my brother Ron started the projects in, yeah, I think it was April of that year. 
And I think we finally yeah. opened up, uh, actually, it might have been even earlier, but we opened up by November of that year, right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, well, luck- that, yeah. the, let me let me touch on that, because, you know, the, it's it's interesting because there's two things going on here. You, you you weren't super happy at a corporate. Right. And you had a vision for your for what you wanted to do with your practice cosmetically, probably some insurance stuff, maybe demographic wise. I mean, I, I'd like to get into that more. But so many startups start with what what I learned I didn't want to do at the DSO. And this is the way I want to do it. Or they were like, oh, that worked. And, and I want to replicate that. So so that's number one. I'm sure you picked up some some tidbits there. But time stamping this with COVID, there's a lot of associates getting beat up right now because of COVID. Like the hours are weird. The dentists are having to do hygiene. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, upset associates that this is kind of forcing them to potentially want to do a startup. And so it's kind of like I'm getting mistreated at my associate position. So maybe now's the time to do it. So big picture, like what, what were some of those things that you were like, oh, I don't want to do this. Uh, I want to do that. Or, oh, I can see how this works. I'm going to replicate that. Do, do, can you remember that? It was also location driven, correct, Mladen? Like you wanted to do a downtown practice, right? That was yeah. another big piece. Well, yeah, it was for me. There, it was. I had the vision in mind. I knew what I wanted to do, and I always believed that when you, um, so different. And I'm a, I always reference, you know, Apple and Steve Jobs. Is it, it, there's a video of Steve Jobs, you know, from 20 years ago or 25 years ago, holding this kind of like notebook and said, "One day your computer is going to sit in your hands." And that was the precursor to the iPad. So he knew it was going to go that way, you know. So he starts with the end in mind of where it, then he figures out how to get there. So I had kind of the same route in which I knew that um, I wanted to do, like, for example, Heartland's strategy and many uh, DSO strategies are doing acquisitions. I don't want to inherit somebody else's problems. I want to create my own. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, so I started with the, I said, we're going to do a brand. We're going to do a de novo. We're going to, we're going to do things from the top back. We're going to figure that out. And I started with the name. It also started with what type of practice I personally wanted to have. So when, uh, going back to what you're asking, John, uh, it's like, I didn't plan out where I was going to practice. I just happened to live in the West Loop. And, you know, I got there, you know, back when there was only two restaurants and nothing going. And now it's one of the hottest uh, neighborhoods in the country. Um, there was a dentist there, you know, before me. Um, and so I was renting space from him, just doing my cosmetics two days a week while I was still working at Heartland four days a week. So I knew I was going to make that transition. I'm like, you know, uh, this is the way that I want to practice. I want to do cosmetic dentistry and I want to have a patient experience. I don't, I don't have to be the dentist to everybody. I just need to have, you know, I'll be a dentist to a select few, um, and change their lives. So with that in mind, I saw, you know, came up with the, uh, the concept of Aura to bring my brother on. And so, again, you're starting with really what type of practice environment do you want to have? And we knew that we were going to have beautiful environments that were atypical dental offices. Uh, they're not cookie cutters like they all were in the 80s and 90s. And um, uh, we're going to be very tech forward. So with that in mind, I knew that those two elements right there are going to contribute greatly to a really enhanced um, uh, patient experience. 
And uh, as you know, John, I was always an early adopter of, you know, some of the, you know, technology and, uh, you know, always was then and even now. So that's really what helped kind of spread the word like, oh, my God, what a great experience. I've got a prior treatment suite when everything else was open bay concepts. Um, you know, there's not 20 people. Yeah. In the, in the, you, you, you had music that was focused on that particular patient. Like that's that's the patient experience way before you, know, you had individual iPod docking stations where people would, you know, come in and suddenly their music would be on like that's and, and soft materials. And, you know, quite frankly, I think you were one of the first lead certified dental practices. Am I correct with that? Like you got it was for me who I built a lot of dental practices in my life. I had never experienced something like this. And I knew I just wanted to be a part of something like that because it was crazy. Th this mindset. That's where I credit my partners and the people that I surrounded myself with. So in a South Loop practice, we had a oral uh, surgeon, Dr. Coos, who also shared the kind of the same vision. Uh, so Dr. Coos, my brother, Gron, and Reggie Thurston all went to school together. I'm a few years older than them, but we had that familiarity and trust that this is the direction we want to go in. So, um, you know, the South Loop practice, it didn't get lead certified, but it followed all lead protocols. And it was Dr. Thurston practice in Wicker Park that actually became uh, Chicago's uh, first lead certified uh, dental practice. And then uh, the other practices, then Dr. Coos built another oral surgery practice that became uh, like the first oral surgery, lead certified oral surgery practice. So it didn't, we didn't necessarily need lead certification in a lot of these places, but just to kind of follow some of the protocols and, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of differentiate our brand, you know, in a way that nobody was really, very few people were thinking about. Right. Demoralizer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so what, what, what I'm hearing is that you like, that's pretty impressive that not only did you have this vision for exactly what you, what you wanted doc, but then, then you got a bunch of partners that also saw the vision and had a like-mindedness. It's hard to have partners in general. Everybody knows that. So for you all to number one, work well together, super impressive. But number two, to have all the exact same vision and be able to replicate what you've done five times, six times. How many practices do you have? Well, there's uh, five general practices and well, six general, uh, five general practices with one oral surgery in it. And then there's one standalone oral surgery practice as well. So, I mean, how did you all, did you guys all get in a room and or go to Cabo and just Talk about what you guys all wanted to do because I wish it was that's that really hard. That's, <laughs> I mean, I mean, John, you had you had five, six, seven, eight practices. That were they as unified as what you're making Aura Care no, sound like? No, 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 no. Like Mulatins ha actually had a, a united front and a united vision. Our, ours were very bifurcated. So, um, yeah, no, that's. I would think that everyone aspires to, and I think it's from the background of that, you know, you know, from a lot of standpoint of seeing what it's like to be a part of a, a very structured, very systematic group that actually has KPIs, you know, KP, KPIs, key performance indicators. I mean, it's something that any business needs to live by, you know. I mean, is that some, is that is there some truth to that, Maladin? About you know that you do look at KPIs, how many patients come through the door, things of that nature. Yeah, I just look at you know I, I don't get too crazy about them. I look at some you know just general numbers. Uh, you could you could get lost. Uh, you know, as dentists, we could be overly analytical, 
but there's just some key ones that are going to actually, as you say, you know, top 10 that you could look at on a consistent basis that will tell you, um, you know, how the practice is, is doing. But it does come down to the KPIs are irrelevant unless you've got, a, you know, a, a, again, a bigger system in place. And, and you know, dentistry, dentistry for the longest time was uh, you come to the city of Chicago, for example, you know, you had literally, John, you know better than I do, but, you know, hundreds of dentists in the downtown Chicago Loop, and they're all in these tall office buildings and stuff. Uh, dentistry ended up following medicine. Uh, when all of a sudden medicine became a retail type experience, then dentistry followed suit a few years later. We always kind of trailed medicine over what they're doing by uh, a few years. And as soon as, as soon as dentistry became a retail type experience and a consumer type experience for people, that's when it didn't matter what services you offered, rather how you offered those services. So in other words, I could have a competitor down the streets who is doing the exact same procedures that I am um, and has, you know, the same type of patient demographics as I do. So we're competing for the same people. But who is that patient going to um, uh, gravitate to? They're going to gravitate to the person they trust. So if I have a eco-friendly, high-tech practice that is using, let's say, lasers to take out fillings with no, or to do fillings with no anesthetic or drills versus the guy down the street who has a really nice practice, but he's practicing traditionally, they're going to tend you know, gravitate towards us uh, or, you know, high-tech practices, because that's what people are looking at, you know, nowadays. We didn't have that necessarily back when we first started, but we were trying to do, uh, you know, basically the term brand uh, differentiation, we were trying to do it from, uh, first of all, uh, an environmental standpoint, meaning in the, in the uh, inside the practice, how do we differentiate ourselves? We're like, all right, private treatment suites, you know, the music, like you're pointing out, you know, little, uh, um, little other touches around there, uh, where it's a quieter environment, doesn't feel like a clinic. It feels like you just, you know, went to a spa, even though we never followed the, the spa, dental spa trends, a lot of people commented on it. So, so yeah, based off of that, we, we did a lot of marketing back in the day. Then we didn't have to, cause we got a lot of word of mouth, uh, uh referrals. And if a patient is in a big of a city of Chicago used to be in the South loop, but they transferred or moved to another part of the city, guess what? They came to one of our other offices because they knew they were going to get the same experience and same trusting dentist uh, as well. So yeah, um, yeah that, that's well, and I think I think one thing you did really well and, and this is what Mike and I talk about a lot with with dentists when they're thinking about opening a dental practice. It's about becoming a part of the community, you know, and becoming a part of that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And Chicago has that ability, but honestly, anywhere has that ability. Sure. And I think that's mm -hmm. one thing that, that you did. You know, I lived in the West Loop. I knew I wanted to open up a practice in the West Loop. Yeah. That allowed you to become that staple and, you know, you know, the hairstylist, the, you know, the butcher, whoever it was, of course, you know, I'm going to talk about dried meats at some point in time in this interview, but, you know, the butcher, whatever it is, they're going to come and they're going to say, I want to go see you. And, yeah. and that's how you build a practice by being a part of that community, as opposed to, hey, I just put a business in, people are going to come and see me. It doesn't work that way anymore. Am I right with that? And oh, you still believe that, correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we look we look for not only the doctors, they all live in the city or close to the practice. I mean, I, I used to walk to work, you know, it was like three blocks away. Uh, Dr. Thurston walks to work in the Wickard Park location. Um, you know, right. all, our, all of our locations are easily accessible by the doctors. And we, we try to look for it's not always possible. We always try to look for team members that live in the city or close by. And we do get a lot of people. Some people, you know, don't. 
but that's fine. Branding, you know, I want to talk about branding and and staying true to branding. Sorry, Michael, did you want to talk at all? I don't know if you wanted to talk. No, no, no. It's your interview. It's your interview. Go ahead. <laughs> but, but that, I mean, that 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 branding piece and really SEO, like you early, like you said it early on, it was important, and then it just kind of morphed and became something. But I mean, the, the patient flow just kept on coming through due to the early stages and really that location, right? So it was your your brand, marketing to that brand, and then really picking a great location. And 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 you did that on your own behalf, but you also worked with, you know, some trusted real estate people that you're still aligned with. Am, am I correct? Yeah. I mean, the real estate people come and go, but they always circle back around as far as what they know that we're always looking to expand. I mean, right now we're just kind of <laughs> waiting things out. We're looking to expand the South Loop location. Um, but, um, you know, for us, the most important thing was like, all right, you might pay a little bit more in rents, but, you know, visibility of a location in a city like ours is of the utmost importance because, you know, most people are either walking or taking public transportation to one of our locations, you know, so you have to have that visibility. Um, and for the most part, for the exception of my practice where I'm at, I'm on the fourth floor of a, a building, but I'm in the middle of the, you know, magnificent mile. So people, you know, uh, and I'm surrounded by density and tall buildings. Um, all the other locations are, you know, highly visible. And when people pass by them, they're like, oh, is that a lounge? What is, what is that place? Uh, they don't identify right. a dental office right away. People thought it was like a restaurant or a, uh, you know, music lounge or, you know, just kind of a, you know, something like a spa or something different. So, well, and that's a cool, that's a, that's a great realization early on because you talk about that rent, right? That, that load of rent. And uh, obviously that's a big, you know, big number on your monthly nut, but you can actually relate that to marketing dollars. Like you said, because if you are visible, if you're on an inline store of a Walmart, whatever it might be, Obviously, that's great. You're going to get people that see you, you know, um, same thing on a, uh, on a busy street. You, you have to think of some of that rent as marketing dollars. Um, it's not only just rent. So, um, well, I, I, I let's talk about the greatest marketing uh, scheme of all time. You talked about branding like this is something that you've cultivated and created over all of this time, but who helps you create that? It's also your team, obviously. Your team's probably 98% of that. You you walk in with your white jacket, if you even wear white jackets, and you diagnose and you you get you get out. Your, your, your entire team is really creating that brand that people say, oh, I go to Aura, right? And so so if you've had the you had this vision, you had the name. You had these locations in your mind. How did you get the team to walk and talk in the exact same direction right out of the gate, though? I'm interested in right out of the gate because because I know it takes I know it takes time. You know, that's as a consultant. I don't just go into offices and, and change that overnight. It takes time. However, with a startup like it's probably the 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 hiring process it's probably the expectations right out of the gate talk a little bit about how you created this brand with your team because you got how many team members now in all these practices uh, i mean there's on average i mean we got you know between the six locations probably around maybe 60 uh, team members 
as well. Yeah. So you got 60 people walking and talking down the same direction, talking about aura, Mm -hmm. right? How did you do that? We we actually have a little bit more um, um, independence at the practice level. We let the doctors kind of dictate it. So it's not necessarily a rigid type of a brand. It's going to fit the location and the doctor's personality. I found before when I was trying to make it a very rigid brand, even though we were all on the same page, it was it was hard for us at this level um, because we were still all wet finger dentists to be able to maintain that brand as perfectly as I personally wanted to. So even though I wanted everything a certain way, I realized that I can't I can't be that stringent on it. Uh, as long as the patient right. experience, as long as we all share the same clinical philosophy, as long as we're using all the same tech, all that stuff will fall in place. Um, to answer your question, Michael, I think that as soon as you know, and John was there for, you know, really the flagship with the South Loop location. As soon as people saw what that office was designed like, you're going to get uh, employees, you know, staff members, uh, team team members. You're going to get them excited about wanting to practice in place. Like, wow, these guys really do have a vision. And then you share that vision. Show up, right. They, actually, you had people wanting to work for Aura. Right? Yeah. At a, at, and because it it became something, right? Yeah, well, we we do now also as well. It's interesting to see that we got a little flack from a few dentists around town because they thought we were stealing their employees. And we've never, not even once, ever tried to pillage an employee from somebody else. But what they've done is they've gone to other situations in, w- in which either the dentist was difficult to work with or, you know, the practice overpromised and underdelivered as far as, you know, work environments and, and, and ability to, you know, uh, kind of move up that uh, that ladder at the, within the practice. Um, so, you know, we get a lot of people that, you know, would work at one group practice and they, and all of a sudden we've got five of their employees spread out through our organization because they just had, you know, they did, the vision wasn't there similar to what we had. Um, so uh, you, 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 we're constantly kind of reinventing what we need to be. I think that, you know, we had a lot of things that were mimicked as far as like office design and, uh, you know, some of the things that we did. So you always have to kind of stay ahead of the, the, the competition with a brand differentiation because we're all competing for the same same patients. Uh, there, there's a lot in Chicago. There's more than enough patients to go around for everybody. But, you know, you still want to be the preeminent brand in your market. And, you know, there's a there's a couple of groups that come to mind in Chicago that are doing a pretty good job of that. So it keeps us on our toes um, is, is what we need to do next. Um, but the technology factor, I don't think anybody could compete with our technology wise. We're actually in the process of uh, starting our own in-house lab as well within the next you know month or so. So uh, we already got the equipment and everything. So we're going to take that experience and uh, really kind of uh, you know funnel it through our organization. So uh, that's kind of the next step for us. You make a, you make a, you make a great point. Like when the leaders are super clear about what they want, the rest will follow. And yeah. if they don't, it, it, it's pretty clear, right? And and yeah. I think I think that's probably one of the biggest tips that I could ever give any startup is if you're not super clear about what you're trying to accomplish, your team isn't going to be right. Yeah. And so, uh, being super clear on that front end really will naturally figure out what if the team's a good fit, a good fit or well, not, I, right? And here's the other thing: I think unfortunately, some dentists you know, they hire an office manager or, you know, a a trusted front desk person, and suddenly they're just doing the hiring process where you're relying on someone that is not even paying the bills or, you know, they might be signing the name on the bottom of the check, but it's, 
It's not their money, but they're in the hiring process. I mean, in my mind, the dentist or the visionary has to be involved in that team building process. And what I mean by team building, it's not only team building once you have them on staff, but building the team, you know, because you're going to see if they follow the mantra of what you want and key words are going to come out and, you know, Milani will be like, no way, this is, this person's horrible. Um, where the front desk gal or the office manager is not thinking that way. Am I, am I onto something there from both of your perspectives? Yeah, well, we've always, you know, made the mistakes that we made in the hiring process is a lot of times we hired people who were like stop gaps and they weren't necessarily a cultural fit for us, meaning that, you know, they just uh, they were rocking the boat, you know, in one way or another. What didn't happen immediately. Uh, for the most part, nine out of 10 people are going to uh, interview great um, if they show right. up interview nowadays <laughs> so we get a lot of uh, people don't even show up for interviews which kind of in this the pandemic kind of you know kills me you know i don't i don't get it so um but when you do get them in the you know front door then it's up to me to you know explain what the vision is you know what we're doing with the practice show them the technology that i use why it's a much more exciting place to work at than you know somebody down the street that doesn't have the tech that we do or beautiful offices that we do so um um, yeah, it's, it's my job. You know, I have, you know, people that will, uh, like my youngest brother, he's our business manager and he's the one that actually does all the hire. He does all the HR. And then I interview them afterwards after the fact, but he gives me his recommendations. And most of the time we're on the same page because he knows what I'm looking for. He knows what type of personality that I need, but at the same time, it's not like you might have 20 people coming through the door for one position. If you get three, you're very lucky nowadays. So, um, and then out of those three, you're hoping somebody is looking for a long term. Yeah, somebody's looking for a long-term place to stay. And for the most part, you know, I've, you know, we, we've had a lot of great people come through, but our last startup, you know, we had somebody else who was hiring that I wasn't part of the process or the other doctors weren't part of the process. And for lack of a better term, it turned out to be a shit show for a year. Um, the, the, <laughs> it, it really was. And then now I've had- No, but, but, but look, listen, that's okay. Like that's, you know, yeah, that's a mistake. And, yeah. and, and here it was, I was actually giving you all the, you know, the credence for, Hey, you were always a part of the hiring process. No, and that, there it was, you, you. Yeah, that part, I was, that part I wasn't. And then that was our, our last location that we uh, started a couple of years ago. Um, then we finally found a team or my brother, I found the doctor, but then the doctor actually with our brother, Dan helped build the team. They, we had to get rid of a lot of bad apples. They were good clinically, but they just, we identified who the people were that were causing the problems and not allowing the practice to reach its potential. Um, it started right. off great. We lost a doctor after three years because she wanted to do her own place. And um, then we just, uh, the, the hires that we made after that um, were more stop gaps and uh, they weren't necessarily people that we, we thought were, you know, good uh, team members, you know, after we evaluated everybody. So yeah, you learn, you, you learn and you kind of, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and, and you're going to do that. You're going to find that out. Unfortunately, you don't find it out. Sometimes you find out right away because they, they might not show up on the third day. Right. And sometimes, you know, you just, it, the, the culture just changes, even with a defined culture like aura or a defined culture, like who, who's, you know, one of our, our, our listeners culture that they want to build. It, that it, it 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 can infiltrate the staff and you just have to be in tune with the staff. You can't be separate from the staff. And that's 
that's one thing that I think, you know, all of you guys over at Aura have done. You guys have brought the team together a lot of times and you, you are approachable. Um, and, and that allows you to hopefully, you know, find some of the bad apples along the way. So it doesn't, you know, uh, you know, ruin the entire cart of apple. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm always looking for great employees. You know what I mean? You never know when they're going to show up. Um, it's no different than, you know, John, I'm a big soccer guy. So I follow the premier league. I've played soccer all my life. And, uh, you know, you watch some of these top teams and what are they doing? You know, the team that came in seconds is looking how to bolster their team. Seconds, a great accomplishment. But what they're doing is to try to fill in where their weaknesses are, you know, and that's no different with a dental office is we got to fill in who, who do we have a weak spot? And if we do, luckily, if you don't, then great. Keep that team there for the next 20 years. If you do have a weak spot, you got to evaluate it. If you can't train them to be better or uh, motivate them to be better, then you know, have no other option but to look for somebody who's a better fit. Let me ask Doesn't this question. Go on. Go on, Mike. I'm 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 gonna relate to you, please. I love yeah, it. It's like all day, Doc. It's like every <laughs> day. Um, it, it reminds me of one of my other interviews earlier this week. Um, that doesn't that usually show up, Doctor, in patient experience? Like I I found that you know you can train the tactical things, right? You could train how to how to call the insurance company and verify. But if you aren't smiling when that patient walks in the door, if you're not hand, hand holding them through the entire office, it that 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 shows up really really quickly, doesn't it? And and the one thing I wanted to mention, and I don't want to forget this, is you went after this. You didn't want to call it today. You're the spa, but you kind of did. You kind of are doing the spa. Like I, I do a lot of. Uh, startups for like folks that do HMOs and 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 in blue, really really blue collar areas, that's okay. They can have that vision, and it'll probably be really really successful. But the one thing that they all need to have is impeccable customer service, and is isn't that it? Like that's what that's what shows really quickly is that customer service where it's not a good fit, and you got to cut yeah. it. Well, that's where it comes with you know again that relates to the vision at the top what you want out of this practice and you fit the people around that to fulfill that vision. And part of that vision is customer service. You know, I think uh, uh, years ago when I was first starting, you know, we didn't have all this great uh, 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 CRM software out there that would be able to get uh, feedback from patients in literally, uh, you know, 24 hours. Now I get uh, my right. laptop on a daily basis. I get uh, our ratings. So if there is a three, uh, you know, anything that's three uh, or, or two or one stars, uh, which is luckily for my practice, very few, you know, in our in our office, um, you know, I address those. And like, why did that patient have a bad experience? And then sometimes it is just up to the patients having a bad day. Uh, but a lot of times it's got nothing to do with us, what we're doing clinically. It really had to do something with either their insurance. Uh, we sat them down late. Um, something wasn't explained. There was uh, a procedure they didn't expect or to pay for or whatever it might have been. So it's just communication. And sometimes it's, it really comes down to one of my team members had a bad day and uh, their tone came across uh, the wrong way. Um, you know, so uh, those are all correctable and because now they're all very visible. So we, we see those. <laughs> we get that yeah, visible. but you're, you're, you're using that as a learning experience, right? You're, you're taking that and saying, but the other piece is what great leaders do is they obviously teach to mistakes but they also teach to triumphs, right? Mm -hmm. So 
triumph in when staff members have done something right, project that amongst others. So that propagates more triumphs. So um, let me ask you this question. Have you ever hired someone outside of the dental industry? Because sometimes you're taking that, you know, you were talking about acquisitions. Hey, I don't want other people's problems. Sometimes you're actually hiring from outside. You might actually be able to build them up to who you want them to be. Um, have you ever done that? And what, what does that look like to you? Well, with my very first practice, I did that. So uh, my first office manager was actually a manager of a prominent hair salon. Uh, in Chicago on Oak Street, which is kind of like you know, the Fufu Shishi Fuji uh, street, shopping street of Chicago. And I actually knew her personally through my sister-in-law. And I just took, she was kind of tired of where she was at. She was there for like 13 years and uh, she was looking for a new challenge. And I actually brought her on board. And um, luckily, and basically she had no skills as far as dental goes. She had to learn all that. Um, but what she was really good with was she was with, uh, with patients and presenting treatment plans. And she just had a great rapport and a really good disposition about her. Um, so I hired, and that goes to the kind of the strategy of sometimes you hire for personality, not necessarily for experience, right. because you could always teach clinical or business stuff or administrative stuff, but you can't teach personality. <laughs> so, um, and she was with me for a good, I'd say five years, um, to, until she decided to move on. Uh, but I had literally, this is when I started my practice. I was primarily cosmetic. So it was easy that way. I literally had her and I had one dental assistant and that was it. And I was just doing cosmetic. Yeah. So our in-office flow wasn't like your typical um, dental practice. We didn't have an abundance of patients walking through the door every 20 minutes, you know. So it was literally one patient here, one patient there, you know. So it was it was easier to manage. But that that worked out for me. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I think that there's something to that, especially front of the house. I mean, that's a that's a real spot where, you know, uh, you do want to relate to the patient. You want to be able to give them that experience as opposed to something that is so, you know, strategic and check the box like uh, you need that free flow of conversation. You need that free flow of, you know, uh, gratitude that these people are in the room. And, and, and in that instance, it probably worked, you know, someone from a you know, a beauty salon, if you will. So it's been a while since I've been to one for, um, obviously, but Got this, this head of, I, that I, have. <laughs> um, I don't even know what these things are like anymore. Last, last question and, and then closing remarks, guys, uh, doc, you've done, uh, all of these projects, they're all beautiful, impeccable, just kind of like, wow, type practices. What as we head into the rest of this series, right, with contractors, architects, real estate people, you name it, we're we're interviewing the gamut on best practices along the way. You've done you've done a few yourself. And so give me like two, three things that you could say, you know, made a mistake here, would never do that again, or did this and and I'm so glad I did, or just off the top of your head. Um, I'd say mistake number one is not keeping a consistent contractor. So if you're going to build an office, if you have, um, plans to do more than one, then I think you need to forge a relationship with a, uh, a contractor. Um, Love that. 
Yeah, because they're going to share the vision. We've used basically different contractors for each project because we were always searching for the, the the right one. So only later did you know another contractor come up that we were kind of we talking to did our you know, was working on our last project um, that we thought would be the right fit. Um, but that probably come that probably be the very first thing, and then. Second thing would be invest in technology right away. Um, it took me, even though I'm an early adopter, if you want to be successful, you need to be able to justify a higher cost, uh, a better looking office, a better environment, and some tech that will actually drive patients towards you. Um, if you're going to open up an office in a strip mall next to a uh, money lender and a nail salon, you're not going to have the same ambiance as you will somebody who is, uh, and you're just doing a bare bones, you know, type of a practice. Um, you know, uh, you're not going to do as well as somebody who actually invested a little bit more money in the proper technology. So, um, and and the ambiance of the place. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go crazy on on costs and uh, you know use all the. Well, and that's what I was going to say. Like as as things went on, Laden, you still kept that vision and you spent money on these things, but you were smart and prudent with the money as as the projects went on so and and i and i realized that for my you know for myself and, and mike made reference to this also that you know you don't have to spend money for clean environments for environments that suit the type of dentistry that are you're serving you just have to be smart and working with that contractor they could help you understand instead of spending overspending on this do this and i think that you know, that ties together that contractor and that partnership for that shared vision. They're not against you. They're actually partners. So they can help you build that the right way with the right cost in mind. Yeah. So now you're going to have to, especially with the pandemic, I mean, we were fortunate because we created all of our offices were uh, closed private treatment suites. We never had an open uh, bay concept in any of our practices. Uh, because we, right. that was our that was our initial differentiation, and we used you know the type of hardware, and we had the sliding barn doors with really cool uh, finishes on them, and you know basically the rest of Chicago started copying a lot of our finishes, um, which is great. Um, I think they finally understood. So if somebody is going into um, saving costs, well, I can understand if you're going to save costs up front, you're going to be behind the eight ball. If you don't do something a little bit different from a design standpoint especially now with this pandemic going on. Um, we're looking to retrofit at least my locations with these uh, air vents that are going to circulate the air. They also have a light in them. Yep. There's a bunch of product projects that are out there. It's a different world right now. You have to have private treatment suites uh, to make the patients feel a lot more comfortable right now. Um, and I think that that's what people would prefer. Um, you know, again, going back to all things being equal, they'll take an office with a private treatment suite rather than one with an open bay concept where you can hear what the person next door did last weekend, you know? So yeah, yeah. It kind of goes all. It's kind of having a private room in a uh, in a hospital. Like, why wouldn't you want a you know a private room as opposed to a, a roommate? <laughs> you don't want an emergency room where you know the guy's bleeding over the next you know next uh, stall next to you. So, <laughs> right. but uh, yeah, that that's the two things come off the top of my head. And then I just think that the third thing, um, I think we should have placed. Uh, even higher emphasis on customer service. Uh, the majority of our wow. we ever got, and I would even go as far as say 
uh, send your uh, team to basically like hospitality training. Uh, it's something that I've kind of looked into to see what programs are out there. Um, give them the, uh, what is it? The, uh, I forgot what store brand it is. Uh, Neiman, Neiman Marcus Hospitality, I think is one of the highest rated ones. And they have like a booklet out. I think we should have established that a lot earlier because the majority of our complaints don't come from a clinical standpoint. In fact, very few. So, I mean, I might, I might have had a complaint because the tooth remained sensitive for six months. The patient was unhappy um, for that. But the majority of them are how somebody answered the phone, how their insurance was handled, uh, how somebody might have talked while they were at the office, you know, appropriate remarks, uh, uh, being professional at all times, or how somebody right. was they look like they rolled out of bed. So majority of our complaints come from people at the front desk. And I hate to say that, but uh, they've got, they're the first, they're the face of the practice. They're the first person that they hear and uh, first person that they see when they walk in the practice. So they got to be on point. So I'd see those. They, they actually have more, they have more contact time than you do with the patient. That's the crazy thing. And people don't spend the time for proper training. And I don't know if it's Neiman. It could be Nordstrom Way. There, you know, I've read that. That's a great book that talks about customer service. Um, yeah, I mean, Nor the Nordstrom Way is an amazing book that you know I've seen people pass out to staff members or businesses pass out to their employees so they can understand how to, you know, that 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 experience of of you know how to treat people the right way uh, when they walk in the door. But uh, so, you know, I, I want to thank you personally, you know, from a friendship standpoint for spending time with Mike and I, because I think your vision and, you know, if people want to go and look at your website or a dental studio, see what you guys are doing in the Chicagoland area, see some of the, uh, the, the build outs and, and, and really some of your um, how you are projecting your vision um, early on. Right. I mean, that's that that website is from you know, the past, even though it's transcended into the future, um, you've stuck to your vision through highs and lows, mistakes and triumphs. And that's what we want to convey to people that you can do it. Um, find the right people, trust in them, trust in yourself and, you know, trust in the teammates and spend time on them. Um, great job on this interview today, Maladen. And um, thank any, you very much. Any, yeah. Any closing remarks, Mike? Or um... no, I, I just wanted to say thanks. I, it, uh, you know, your success uh, speaks for itself. I, anybody that's following along on YouTube or uh, any of our podcast channels, make sure you get over to Facebook and follow because you'll have access to to Doctor here. If if you have a question, I'm I'm sure Doctor would be happy to help someone just getting their start. Um, you know, you have access to all of our interview uh, interviewees. So thank you for being a resource for our listeners. Yeah. And just on a final note, just came to me right now, is if you want to see a powerful video that goes to what you just said, John, Simon Sinek, the, uh, the golden uh, circle, uh, always yeah. start with the video. So go on YouTube, watch that, start with why and work backwards. That's pretty much talks about, you know, what, what I've been saying here. Start with the end in mind, start with the vision work yourself way backwards from that that's a great drop dropping golden nuggets right to the end <laughs> i mean it's just... <laughs> what is fantastic yeah I well love thank, thank you uh, thanks so much for being a part of it Mike. all right thanks guys
Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another truth-filled episode of Startup Uncensored. Check out Startup Uncensored on Facebook and YouTube. Click like, subscribe, and interact with Michael and John.